0: Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. My name is Aurel Ben-Lyman Han-Navi. This is episode number 131. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu, Malkinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we are hungry. We're expecting to be blessed, to be equipped, to be nurtured, to be fed. Uh, We know that the, the... The the food that we dine on is sure to uh, fill us satisfactorily uh, because we dine on your word and we know that we'll we'll never go hungry as long as we dine on the word. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for preserving the words, for making them available for us, for giving us um, uh, something that we can continually uh, use to build ourselves up in Messiah, uh, to keep the promises afresh, um, to uh, continually remind ourselves of who we are uh, uh, and who our Father is. Uh, thank you for the fellowship of the saints and the, the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to connect to people around the world. In, and no matter where we're at and what country we're in, what part of the world we're in, um, as long as you're allowing us to meet through this medium of the internet or YouTube videos or Podcasts or online or anything like that, uh, um, then uh, just like Yeshua said, where two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst of us. Um, thank you, Lord, that you have promised that you would be with us and that you'd continue to bless us in this way. Um, help us to prepare ourselves, help us to um, be the type of people who are ready to give a, a word about uh, what we believe, and why we believe it, and what hope we have, um, why we're different from people around us, Uh, so give us that what we call holy boldness, to be able to share our witness in whatever way is practical at the time. Sometimes it's uh, just sharing a good word. Sometimes it's just a a kind gesture, uh, just um, a a kind action. Um, But uh, we pray for divine opportunities to be able to to share the gospel, Um, especially in these days where there's so much stress, there's an abundance of fear, an abundance of confusion, um, political tension on. On every side, racial tension and confusion on every side. Um, uh, Of course, there's the pandemic that looms large. Um, Lord, these are days that we need to be praying and we need to be ready. We need to be um, prepared. Um, So just continue to to, uh, protect us as families, as communities, uh, raising us up and and giving us um, uh, a place where we can let our light shine. Uh, Bless us during this little study tonight. Uh, Be with those who couldn't be in the study, but wanted to be in the study. Bless them where they're at. Bless those who are watching this YouTube after the fact or listening to the podcast. Um, bless them where they're at. Lord, draw them close to you. Let you uh, let your name receive the glory uh, for the lives that are changed through ministries such as this. And be careful to give you the praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Oh main want to thank everyone for joining me week after week. My name is R.L. Ben lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation. Kehilatunubal in Thornton, Colorado, as you see on your screen right now. I've got the Harvest website pulled up, and you can find us online at www.graftedin.com. We'd love to have you join us online, but better than that, we'd love to have you come on out. Um... However, uh, let's see, starting, let's see, is it starting this week? Well, we have a winter warning, so we're not going to be meeting uh, the the live services. Well, we didn't meet them today. By the time you listen to this podcast or watch the YouTube video, this will be old news anyway. But the point I'm trying to say is we actually do have our uh, live services as long as the weather permits. So you can join us live or you can join us online, either way. Uh, And if you join us online, if you look look right now, you'll see that Pastor Mark is starting into his... Passover-related messages entitled, Jesus in the Passover Connection. If you are not following along with the calendar, by the time you watch this video, Passover is going to be on the immediate horizon. So let me just tell you real quick what the schedule looks like. Today is the 13th of March, and so we will meet next week on the 20th of March for the Live Internet Studies. However, the week after that is of Pesach, uh, the 27th of March. So there will be no live internet study meeting um, for my study. I'm not speaking about the harvest. I'm not talking about their schedule. Uh, you'll have to go to the harvest website and look at what their schedule scheduled like around the Passover week. But I'm just talking about me, Ariel, my live studies. We're meeting tonight. We're meeting next week. And we're not meeting on the 27th. And then um, I'll talk a little bit more next week about a big change in the schedule, but uh, not going to mention that just now. But just thought I'd make you aware of that. Also, I've got my own website at TateSeTorah.com. Uh, TateSeTorah Ministries is the um, um, ministry that the Lord has blessed me with, and you can find me online at uh, www.tateSeTorah.com. Let me spell it out for you it's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H H.com. You can see from my home screen right now there are a cluster of links there. Uh, Just click around and see what you like. Uh, Most of those are written commentaries, but um, many of them these days include either an audio podcast that accompanies the written, which is almost like a um, kind of an audiobook for some of them where I'm just reading down through the notes. But more often than not, I'm actually just expounding upon what I already wrote. And then these days, um, more and more, I'm turning my written commentaries into YouTube videos. So um, having said that, find me on YouTube at um, uh, www.youtube.com forward slash C for the word channel, forward slash Tetzay Torah Ministries. And uh, I really hope that you find my YouTube channel a blessing as well. Feel free to do five things for me. Number one, subscribe, Right, That puts you in the family. Number two, hit the little bell for notifications to make sure you're in the loop. Number three, um, uh, hit thumbs up. Hit the little the like button uh, that says that you like my videos because that just really helps with my... Um, YouTube algorithm. Plus it helps with with my, uh, uh, it helps with my, um, uh, keep my videos uh, uh, relevant uh, in YouTube playlists and things like that. Number four, hit the, um, uh, what's the fourth one? Let's see. Third one is thumbs up. Fourth one is, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, The fifth one is comment. Ah, I think maybe the fourth one is the thumbs up. Is it? No, it's the share. I think it's a share. Um, you're probably seeing it on your screen right now. Hit the little share button when you watch a video. Share it with your friends and family members. And the fifth one is when you watch a video, leave some comments. Tell me what you liked. Tell me what you didn't like. Tell me where you have questions. Tell me where you have answers. Right? Let's dialogue back and forth that way. All right, so those are the five, four, five. I can't count. All right, just do all those things, okay? Just hit every button that you see. And anything that's red, click it and so it's not red anymore. That way um, everything's uh, the way it should be. Okay. All right, these are live internet studies, and uh, this is episode number 131. And uh, the the recording date for today's study, tonight's study, is March 13th, 2021, USA date. Unless you're meeting with me in, in South Korea right now, then it is already Sunday morning, March 14th. It's a little after... 10, 30 in the morning. Um, So if you want to meet with me during that time, that's fine as well. That's when the live studies take place. Uh, We meet Saturday evenings from 7 p.m. to approximately 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Set your clock wherever you're at in the world against the American Central Standard Time. You'll be able to meet with us. For the one-hour show, it's broken up to two 30-minute segments, roughly. The first 30-minute segment is given over to Romans 14 Unplugged, Feast and Fast and Food Oh my! We're in part forty-nine tonight. We're actually going to be um, putting a, uh, um, a, uh, a a semi-conclusion to what we talked about last week, which was Romans fifteen. Um, we'll we'll finish that up tonight, and then segment two for the thirty minute for, for the hour-long show is given over to the. Uh, exploring the Shema, discussions on the issues of Trinity. We're in paper two, still Yahweh and Yeshua, part sixty-six tonight. We'll just keep plugging along with the different verses that um, show us that the God that we serve is just infinitely more complex than we just than we can understand Him to be. And it's best at the end of the day just to let the Bible tell us who or what God is. Don't try to figure it out with your philosophical mind, with your analytical degrees, and 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 your your um you know, your, uh, uh, psychology and your, and your, all of that. Don't, don't try to figure God out that way. Just read the Bible. What does it say? If you, if, if it rubs, if it kind of stretches your, um, uh, understanding, that's good. That's a good thing, right? God is be ultimately beyond our understanding, but, um, what he has given to us in his word is sure it's trustable, it's reliable. And that's where we're, um, that's why we're just going through verse after verse after verse after verse. After verse. Uh, okay and then we've also got a little YouTube video that we're gonna be watching tonight featured YouTube video Genesis 21 6 the laughter and faith of Sarah which I put together to correspond with a tour portion out of Genesis which is hi Sarah, which we read uh, I don't know months ago uh, briefly just some uh, sc- uh, quick details Skype is the platform that we use for our live internet studies get Skype on your computer or your desktop your laptop your smartphone your desk your uh, iPhone your iPad whatever you're using smartwatch um, mm-hmm. Heck, it probably works on your beeper. You still got a beeper? <laughs> um, no, seriously, I don't think it does. But get Skype. But more importantly, um, you'll need the group link, the Skype group link. And as I tell everyone who always watches these videos and listens around this time, the easiest way to get the Skype group link is go to my website at tatesetorah.com. Drop all the way down to the very bottom, to the black section that you're seeing on your screen right now where you see some Hebrew writing. And of those two buttons, the one on the right that my mouse is over, and the little buttons that point at saying email button right now, that's my email. Click that, and it'll send me an email to uh, my email address, and you can just ask for the Skype link, and I'll send it to you. In that way, once you get the Skype link whenever the class is about to start, if you click the Skype link from your email, it'll automatically launch the application on whatever device you're using. um, And then it'll log you right into the Skype class. And that's the easiest way to join us. So, uh, and as always, um, if the Lord is blessing you uh, to be able to bless other people financially, then this is the place uh, on my website where it's easiest to make a donation to my ministry. Click the little yellow donate button, and you're able to uh, uh, send money via PayPal using a credit card that's linked to PayPal, or you can just send uh, money through your uh, bank account uh, through PayPal as well. And this is a nice way to bless me. Um, I sure could use the help uh, if the Lord's blessing you and you've got some surplus um but uh as i always say be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others okay let's turn now to romans 14 unplugged feasts and fasts and food oh my and uh we uh been working our way through this commentary that i've got that you can see on my screen right now romans 14 unplugged and um it's updated just recently february 14th of you know Of this year. And we've worked our way through, we're still working our way through the introduction, background, and historical audience. And um, what I did last week is I did a a kind of an excursus, which is like um, a little digression of sorts, into a topic that's related to the main study, but that may not show up in the main study. We did an excursus last week, and in my opinion, a very um, pertinent show, a very important show. We read Romans 15, and exegeted verses, uh, I think it was 5 through 12, something like that. So let's read those verses again, and then we'll conclude that part of the study with some quotes from, look at uh, Tim Haig tonight um, from his Roman study. Uh, it's, it's a, 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 I've got some relevant notes that I want to pull in from there, and then um We'll transition a little bit into some quotes from uh, Dr. David Stern. We're going to read from the Complete Jewish Bible from the Book of Acts, um, and there's uh, there's an account there in the end of Acts that is relevant for our study. And then I'll pull his notes from his Jewish New Testament commentary, and we'll read those. And then, if we've got the time, there are two other resources that I'd like to get to eventually. One is. Uh, some notes from Tim Hague again from his Matthew commentary that have to deal with this whole topic of Jew and Gentile worshiping together in a in a in a, in the same social setting. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a, again an excursus uh, topic on the kingdom of God. And then lastly, I don't want to click on the link just yet because if I do, it'll start playing. There's a video um uh, Paul as Jewish theologian from uh, I think it's it's either Oxford University or Yale or Harvard it's one of the one of the Ivy League Ivy League uh, universities where one of the professors is giving us little talk on the Apostle Paul and for about five minutes in the video there's this part that's really relevant to the material that we're studying so let's let's start now with um, Romans 15 let's just read those last few verses that I, we studied last week Um and So that'll push just into the context of uh, what we're going to look at from uh, uh, Tim Hague. Romans 15, which again, this is a study on Romans 14, but um, this part is relevant, obviously, because it's still the Bible. But Paul is giving us, um, he's starting to give us some summary um, information to draw, to bring all of his relevant information, uh, his, uh, the, the content of his letter, to a close and bring it to um a place where some practical application can be made and that the impact of what he's been writing about, uh, is forefront. And for me, uh, one who is Jewish and yet believes in Messiah and frequently tries to challenge Christians with the idea of the Hebraic roots of their faith and, um, um, understanding our responsibility to to a national and unsaved Israel, or we can call them a stumbling Israel, using words that Paul uses. How do we relate to them? I, I mean, it's more difficult now. Uh, I think it's more difficult today to reach out to unsaved Jews than it was in Paul's day because we didn't have such a such the the, the animosity against uh, Christianity and against Messianic Judaism. Uh, back then like we do today. But nevertheless, Paul is reminding his readers who are largely Gentile in composition that they still have a responsibility uh, with greater Israel, national Israel, stumbling Israel. So let's read the words, and you'll have to go back and listen to last week's commentary or watch the the YouTube videos um, to, to to catch the discussion that we had. Paul says in Romans uh, starting in f- verse 5 of chapter 15, may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Of course, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles within the purview of his letter, primarily Gentiles, a minority of Jews, but nevertheless, he wants them to live with harmonious um uh interaction with one another, if at all possible. Verse six says that together, right, not separated, but together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You already know that from my understanding of this letter, the immediate context are the brothers, the Christians, the Gentiles and Jews in Rome that would have been re- the immediate recipients of his letter. That's the smaller context. But the larger context, in my understanding of the hist- of the history of this part of the letter, is that we still had um, Jews and Gentiles who had enough um, community contact with one another that there could be some um, people from the Christian side of the discussion who would be still be found within and among synagogues. In fact, I believe that the Christian church at this time was still a, a, a synagogue community uh even though they had their home groups and things like that um but they were still connected enough to the synagogue that um there was a vibrant community that was shared between the two um and at the same time we had um jewish people who were curious about this messianic faith who were possibly found inside of some of the church groups as well so we had um uh, seekers going back and forth uh, between the communities. Unlike today, we don't have as much of that interaction, uh, social interaction between the, ch- the church and the synagogue. There's there's a b- big wall of separation between the two, and people don't like to traverse back and forth. And indeed, some pl- in some places it's forbidden. Right, if you're Jewish and you show up at a church, they'll ask you to take your keep off. And if you're Christian and you show up at a synagogue, you know. P- ask you to leave or just don't open your mouth and say don't don't use the j word or anything like that so but in Paul's day you still had this interaction so I believe that's that's um, important for Paul important enough for him that he's gonna in the larger context recognize that the that the household of God the family of faith still included National Israel who was investigating the claims of messiahship that Jesus stated about himself and that it was important enough that these um, uh interested uh, Jewish people who were listening to and dialoguing with Messianic Jews and with Gentile Christians could have had a place where they can begin to accept who Jesus was as their Messiah. That would have been a larger context. Uh, I don't think Paul's letter was read in the synagogues. I highly doubt it. But to the degree that Paul was known in the synagogues, the national synagogues, the unbelieving synagogues, you know, call them that, the standard synagogues. I think that was to be expected. So Paul wants at least the church, right, the ecclesia, he wants them to worship together and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, It's with that, he's going to start pushing towards these quotes about the importance of Jewish and Gentile places um, as they overlap with one another. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order to conform confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. A reminder to the Gentile Christians how central Israel is in the program of God and how that even though they've been persecuted, they've been kicked out of Rome, um, this is not the first time, right? The the Emperor Claudius edict that took place in, in that day wasn't the first time that the Jews had been kicked out of Rome. But now Paul is able to speak to the communities and let them know, hey, the Jewish people are still God's beloved. And the uh, place of Israel in and amongst the, the, the emerging Christian church uh, bears relevance. In fact, you have to remember as you're reading Romans 14 and 15 that Paul has already written Romans 9, 10, and 11. And that is some heavy um, eschatological israelogy, right? Uh, theology related to Israel as it pertains to the end time scenarios and things like that that's being eschatological. Um, Israel understood that the Gentiles had a place in, in the worship of god but they were figuring that it wouldn't take place for quite a while they didn't realize that they didn't anticipate that it was going to be um uh so uh, right in their face in the first century after yeshua left and sent his holy spirit in acts chapter two that's what's driving paul to remind jew and gentile both both claiming a genuine faith in God and a service to God through the Scriptures, through the communities and things like that, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera, that both groups need to understand their their respective roles towards helping one another to be at the place where God has already prophesied is, that they're going to be at. In verse eight, Paul says, "I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised." He's reminding the Gentiles that Messiah. When he was on on earth he even said i've been only sent to the lost sheep of the house of israel right he said that in matthew and yet yeshua went on to send his disciples to the nations right the great commission at the end of matthew going into all the world and preach the gospel so it's not jews only but it's to bring gentiles in now jew and gentile are worshiping together as one family of god but, but we have to be reminded as Christians sometimes that his ministry to the Jewish people was to, as Paul says, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. If God did not send his son to the Jewish people, to Israel, then God's promises could not come to pass. God chose messiah to be the one to bring those covenant promises to abraham into fruition and the wonderful part is that those promises to abraham weren't exclusive to the jewish people they had always envisioned the ingathering of the gentiles like paul says in the very next verse and in order that the gentiles might glorify god for his mercy right the jewish people received mercy and through the ministry and work of Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the the apostles, the mercy was being extended to the Gentiles. As Gentiles, as it is written, Therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Uh, Words of the psalmist put into the mouth of Messiah himself. And Paul wants his Gentile readership to understand the impact of God's mercy being shown to the Jewish people even though... By and large, they rejected their Messiah, and the Gentile um, um, evangelistic programs have been so successful wherever uh, the apostles went, by and large. Nevertheless, even though Israel is stumbling in her blindness, God still wants them to um, be brought to that place where they accept the Messiah and are brought to a place where they can worship God. And in order to for that to take place, Paul wants the Gentiles to understand how they now are going to be used by God to bring stumbling Israel into that place. So Israel was used to bring the Gentiles into a place of worshiping God. And now the Gentiles are gonna be used to bring Israel into the place, or at least stumbling Israel. But for now, he wants the, Jew, the Gentiles to understand, hey, um, you guys need one another. You need the, the Jewish communities. Don't just write them off. Yeah, Emperor, Emperor Claudius tried to write them off, but I don't want you to write them off. right? God's not done with them yet. Verse 10, and again, as it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. I really like this verse, with his people. right? Um, uh, we don't need to jump into the Greek to figure out what the English is trying to convey to us. With means with. Don't try to form separate groups that are so separate and distinct I'm speaking to you Gentile Christians, so separate and distinct from the Jewish people that you have no business with them, no dealings with them, no interaction with them, no community um relationship with them. That's not the right way to approach what the prophets had already promised long ago was supposed to happen. The Gentiles are supposed to rejoice along with his people. And the His people, by context, are the jewish people of israel we should have been worshiping together but well the devil got in there right the 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 devil the the devil's in the details um is that what's is that what's the saying the devil's in the details yeah i think so um you know he got in there and he 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 put uh the wrong kind of jealousy in the minds of jews and gentiles in you know animosity enmity even though Messiah broke that all that stuff down, nevertheless, uh, human nature is still rearing its ugly head, and now you have Jews uh, jealous of Gentiles, Gentiles jealous of Jews, resentful of one another, let's split, you guys stay on your side of the street, we'll stay on our side of the street, you guys have your... Sp- scriptures your Old Testament we'll have our New Testament you guys um, the old were the new you know guys you're out you're in and this whole supersession and replacement theology and 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 later on dispensationalism all these things started kind of you know falling into place and now here we are um, you know 21st century and Jew and Gentile just don't want anything to do with any of one another religiously you uh, know and, that, and that's a shame no seriously actually um, Things are, are beginning to mend, right? Uh, God's spirit is still at work. God can't be thwarted. God's not going to be um, uh, uh, fooled. He won't be um, uh, defeated. His plans and his purposes and his his prophecies are still going to come to pass, because the prophecies, as Paul keeps, as we keep reading, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him, verse eleven, and then verse twelve, and uh, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who Uh, rises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. These are promises that Paul read about in his Bible, in his Tanakh. Remember, there was no New Testament at the time of Paul. It was still being written, it was still being walked out. Um, Paul went back through his Tanakh, and he saw all these promises that were given to Israel that were not just Israel-exclusive They were promises that were speaking to the Gentiles who would be brought into this right relationship with God through the Messiah. And so Paul began to realize that even though these are things that are prophesied to happen in the future, nevertheless, through the ministry and work of Messiah and the Holy Spirit amongst us, these things are taking place right now. So from Paul's vantage point, he could basically begin to um, uh, declare in his letters that the Future events are actually being played out before our very eyes in seminal form. I like to say it this way. I didn't, I didn't make up the statement. Uh, it, was, it, it came from someone else, some other pastor that I listened to through the years. But someone once told me that from Paul's perspective, the future had invaded the present. Paul read through the prophecies in the Tanakh that were future prophecies, stuff that wasn't supposed to happen until the end of days. But for Paul, the dawning of the end of the ages had begun. Indeed, for the last 2,000 years, we've been in the end times, the end days. And thus, from uh, Paul's perspective, um, the end of days is something that is not just fully future. The end days is what we're living in right now. And so, I mean, it's an extremely long 2,000-year end days. But the point that's relevant for us today as 21st century Christians is for us to wrap our mind around the idea that God started with Israel. He reached out to the Gentiles and brought them into the family program in order to turn around and continue to um, deal with uh, wayward national Israel and their blindness so that in the end, God will be glorified because one united family of God will be praising God together, Jew and Gentile worshiping together, not separated, but together praising God, accepting Messiah, uh, acknowledging Messiah. We've got to understand that um, God never gave up on Israel. Paul never gave up in Israel, and yet the challenge is the ball's in our court. What are we going to do? Because we've got the the truth, we the church, uh, predominantly we've got the advantage because of the Holy Spirit in our midst and working amongst us mightily. We've got the scriptures, we've got the full package, we've got Old and New Testaments before us, right? as opposed to the Jewish people who have ignored the New Testament, so they're still blind to that, but we've got both. And so we need to continue to pray for unbelieving Israel and to um, ask God, how do we fit into this big family and how can we continue to minister? Um, And one of the ways I think we can do is start changing the way we talk about um, the Bible. You know, um, Old Testament, get that terminology out of your mind. At least if you're thinking it's referring to the Tanakh. That's that's what I mean by giving get that out. So let's continue to work through this. Um, let's pray for one another. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. None of us have all the answers. Um, but thanks be to God, He does. He has the answers. Messiah has arrived. And we can continue to lean on Him and uh, look to Him and avail ourselves of His precious Holy Spirit in helping us to, to work these issues out. Let's turn to um, Tim Haig's commentary Um, we're going to read maybe uh, just one page of this. I don't want to wax too long. Tim Haig has a commentary put together on the Book of Romans. It is available on his website. I'm sorry, let me back up. It's available for purchase uh, from his... uh, Uh, Resource store Torresource.com is his website and I'll probably put a link here on my page here or something like that you'll see that you're in Um, post-production. But you can purchase his his written commentary. It's well worth the the purchase. It's not very expensive Um, uh, and it comes with a PDF version that you can uh, look at on your computer as well as if you buy the hard copy book. But let's read down through just a page of this or so. Commenting on the verses we just read from Romans fifteen, uh, specifically verse eight and nine, just just what I'm gonna look at tonight, for I say that Messiah has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Here's what uh, Tim Hay has to say about these particular. Verses, The opening for I say, lego gar, is more forceful in the Greek idiom than that portrayed by the English translation. Paul uses it seven times, and we have a bevy of verses in Romans, as well as a few in uh, 2 Corinthians and 1 in 1 Timothy. And each time this phrase shows up, lego gar, for I say, it carries with it the idea of declaration. Thus, we might translate it, I declare, or I affirm. So it's important for Paul to use this, this terminology to kind of arrest their attention and and to to grab their attention and say, hey, stop, listen, let me declare something that is worth you meditating on and chewing on. Haig continues, in amplifying the previous statement that Messiah Yeshua is the model one should follow in accepting one's fellow community member, Paul references the covenant made to Abraham, a covenant that included both the physical seed as well as those grafted in by faith. So always, whenever you're reading through Paul, be on the lookout for language that that um, emphasizes that the Abrahamic covenant is are promises that were made to Abraham's family but they include not just Jews but Gentiles only and that's what that forms what I like to call Shema theology when I say Shema this time I'm not referring to the ontological discussion on the nature of God and how he can be one yet three yet one that's not what I mean by Shema in this context what I mean by that is that the the Shema talks about how that the God that the Israelites serve is the one God of one people but from Paul's perspective, he's the same God of the Gentiles, which means he's the God of more than one people. He's the God of all peoples. So that's what I mean by Shema theology. The God of the Jews is also the God of the Gentiles. Recall Romans chapter 3 around verses 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, right in that last five verses of chapter 3. Go back and read that and Paul, Paul's uh, using this idea of Shema theology. Hey, continues. Um. continues. Ultimately, the promise made to Abraham and affirmed to Isaac and Jacob can only be fulfilled through the work of Yeshua, for the covenant promise of blessing can only be realized when the enmity caused by sin is removed. Remember, Jew versus Gentile has been torn down in Messiah, so we need not think that way anymore. And this can only be accomplished by a satisfaction of God's justice through payment for sin. Of course, Messiah satisfied that uh, part. Let's keep reading Tim Hague. Yeshua, therefore in his incarnation, became a servant of the circumcision, the Jews, i.e. those physically related, related to Jacob, thus to Abraham, used here in the same way as in 3.30 and 4.12 of Romans, because it was only through his incarnation, suffering as God's atonement for sinners, that the seed of Jacob could be reconciled to the Father. Again, this is important for Paul because God has not written off a stumbling Israel. Even though they're stumbling, even though they rejected the Messiah, God has not rejected them. Here, Paul makes clear that beyond the distinctions of weak and strong, remember uh, uh, Romans 14 verse 1 and Romans 15 verse 1, beyond these distinctions of weak and strong, there are also two groups defined as Jew and Gentile. Now, uh, Tim Hague is going to state something similar to what Mark Nanos believes is a very strong working hypothesis towards understanding this phrase weak and strong which is that the weak are jews just like every christian probably thinks they are but their weakness is not an indication of their preference for keeping torah like the christians say instead what folks such as myself Tim Haig, Mark Nanos, um, I think J.K. McKee has a little bit of inkling that leans towards this way. There are other Christian authors that I've quoted uh, from time to time that have the same perspective. Rather, the weak are Jews whose weakness is directly tied to their, as of yet, unconfessed Uh, reliance on and confession of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel that they read about in the scriptures. So they have a strong faith in God, at least from their perspective. They have a strong loyalty to Torah. However, they've not yet decided that Jesus is the one that was promised in their Bibles. They're deliberating. They're trying to decide whether he is. They're not hostile to the notion, therefore we can't just write them off. Of course, we can't write off anybody because we don't know when God's Holy Spirit is going to move in a person's heart to cause them to confess Jesus as, as a Messiah. So, um, if you know, if a, if, if a visitor comes and visits your church and he doesn't make a profession of faith right away, well, you don't want to kick him out and say, "Well, you can't be part of us." You want to welcome him in. What do you want to do? You want to continue to love on him and 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 share the gospel with him uh, and bring him to the point where he can make a confession. Well, that's no different in Paul's day. Paul wants to see national Israel come to a confession of Yeshua. He wants to see stumbling Israel's eyes opened uh, and the blindness removed, so that they, like he was, right prior to his to his uh, um, um, coming to believe in Jesus. Um, He wants the blindness to be stripped away. So Nanos thinks that the weak are unbelieving Jews, unbelieving and Messiah Jews, but yet they're still within um, synagogue contact or small group contact with Gentile Christians, so much so that they form a necessary part of the communities that Paul is addressing, weak and strong. So Heg makes a statement that's along those same lines here, but it says, quote, "...that the weak are most likely Jewish congregants who had not yet fully confessed Yeshua as Messiah." And the strong were those Gentile believers who had seemed strengthened by Paul's clear reference to each group in this text. So that's worth noting. Hey, continues. Interestingly, the word has become, um, uh, g- uh, is a perfect infinitive. Uh, this Greek word, and it can be translated as, uh, or understood as giving the sense that not only had Yeshua become a servant of the Jewish people, like we read about historically, right? He, when he was here on earth, he was a servant. But because of this, uh, uh, the the way the Greek structured, it's just one word. But Paul is using it in a way that, conveys the idea that he continues to be such the perfect infinitive in the Greek has this idea that something took place in the past, but it has ongoing significance and relevance for us today. He has become, and in one sense he still is. That's what uh, uh, the perfect infinitive is trying to convey. So he continues to be the um, uh, servant of the Jewish people. Not that it's just that he was it, you know, Yeshua's still alive, and the Jewish people are still here. And so that's what Paul's trying to convey by this Greek phrase. Here is yet another motivation for the Gentile believers to both receive and encourage the Jewish part of the community, for in doing so they follow Yeshua himself, who continues, not just did in the past, but continues to act as a servant on their behalf. Thus Any rejection of Israel as God's chosen people from the Gentile side of the house is likewise a rejection of Yeshua and his present work on their behalf. I think that's quite powerful when we stop and um, um, think about the ramifications of what Paul's trying to imply here. I know it's just one word, and I don't want to build theologies on just one word because that can be an obscure way of reasoning, and your line of logic can be kind of weak if it's just based on one little word in a sentence. Besides, the overall context of what Paul is trying to convey to his Gentile readership in this part of his letter, and indeed the entire letter as a whole, is laced with this idea that Jew and Gentile are supposed to be working together, and that because the Gentiles are in a place right now where um, the, the evangelistic program is so strongly felt and seen and demonstrated, right, the Holy Spirit is working so powerfully among Gentiles, at this time during Paul's writing of this letter, then it's... Apparent to Paul that the Gentiles have a greater responsibility as the strong to reach out to those disenfranchised Jews. Remember, many of them are streaming back into Rome because they'd been exiled, and now they're being allowed to, to come back in. Um, they're going to. They're still. They've still got an uphill battle, right? Especially with Nero. Uh, you know, he's going to start persecuting Jews and Christians the temple's going to be destroyed pretty soon another jewish revolt's going to take place and then um, you know the jews are going to be asked to be kicked out of uh, israel and the various places persecution's going to ramp up so things are going to get start getting tough but to the degree that the Gentiles can do their part and help strengthen national Israel in her blindness, in her stumbling, be brought to a place where they can understand her Messiah, and not be pushed away uh, just because they're Jews. Um, Paul wants the Jews and Gentiles to continue to work with one another. In other words, Paul's—I I envision that Paul's not just satisfied with Jew and Gentile in the church working together. That's a good thing, Jew and Gentile in the church. Wow! Yes, let's clap our hands. That is a good thing. But Paul still has a very broad evangelistic program in mind because he's read the end, meaning he's read through the prophets, and he knows that the Gentiles are supposed to be worshiping in the midst of Israel, and yet there's this anomaly, this this larger part of Israel who is rejecting the very one who's going to bring them into a proper relationship with God the Father. And so for Paul... Um, the responsibility now is lays heavily weighs heavily on the Gentiles to to um, play the part that God has already um, prophesied that they are going to play, which is bringing Israel um, to that place, helping Israel uh, strip away that blindness. So, I think we'll stop with reading through Tim Haig's commentary uh, at this part right now. Um, let me just say a little bit about the Book of Acts and. Uh, 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 Um, David Stern, I don't know how much of this I'm going to be able to read uh, since I'm running out of time. Let me prime you, at least kind of give you a little bit of a teaser. In Acts chapter uh, 28, near the um, end of the chapter, starting in verse 17, um, we read these words. And this is David Stern's version that I'm reading from. David Stern reads, quote, After three days, Shaul called a meeting of the local Jewish leaders. Paul is making his way to Rome, He's going to be tried, right? But he's go, uh, he's making his way to Rome. And interestingly, he goes, he had straight for the local Jewish authorities after a few days of spending time with the brothers. But so that's where we're picking up the reading. After three days, call, Shaul called a meeting of the local Jewish leaders. Contextually, how could he still have enough influence as a Messianic Jew to call a meeting with the local Jewish leaders that tells you something about the Jewish population in Rome post the edict right cuz this these events that we're reading about in Acts chapter 28 took place after he wrote the letter to the book of Romans Romans and after the edict had already taken place so he's he's coming back into Rome and I mean remember Paul wrote the letter to Romans before he ever made his way to Italy, but now he's he's finally in Rome, and he's making his way uh, 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 to the Jewish leaders. When they had gathered, he said to them, "Brothers, although I've done nothing against either of our people or the traditions of the fathers, I was made a prisoner in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, and handed over to the Romans." Uh, he continues, they examined me and were ready to release me because I had done nothing to justify a death sentence. So he's appealing to them to help him out uh, in his plight, which is interesting again. Why, If he's a Messianic Jew, Jews, so he's part of the church, if the church left the Jews and there's a separation between the two, so strong that the Jews shouldn't be meeting with one another, how is it that Paul's meeting with unbelieving Jewish leaders and appealing to them to help him out, right? sounds kind of odd if you think about it, unless you understand that there's still enough community relationships, even after the edict, enough community relationships between the Jewish communities, the existing ones, and the, 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 the Christian communities, and indeed, not all of the Jews were expelled like we commonly think, but maybe just the, the large bunch of those rebel-rousing Jews that Claudius kicked out, but uh, the, maybe a good number of Jews were still able to stay, that Paul was able to meet with them. Verse 19, but when the Judeans objected, I was forced to appeal to the emperor, not that I had any charge to make against my own people verse 20 this is why i have asked to see you and speak with you for it is because of the hope of israel that i have this chain around me i'm just going to read this part in acts and then we'll pick this up maybe next week or the week after after the break or something like that verse 21 they said to him we have not received these are the unbelieving jews talking to paul non-messianic jews there may have been some messianic jews in their midst but largely the way the 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 letter reads we're going to see that they're largely described as unbelieving jews um, Non-Christian Jews. That's what I mean by unbelieving. We've not received any letters about you from Yehuda, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything about you. Notice the um, the, the equivocation or slight ambiguity in the phrase "brothers." Immediately, we think of brother Jews or brother Israelites. But remember, from the context, "brothers" could also, in some places, mean uh, brother Christians. So, and what do you call a brother Christian Jew? Right. Brother Jew? Brother? I mean, you still call him brother. All right. So, uh, verse 22. But we do think it would be appropriate to hear your views from you, yourself, for all we know about the sect, speaking of the Gentile Christians, all we know about the sect is that people everywhere speak against it, speaking of the the, 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 the sect of Judaism known as the Way uh, or the Nazarenes. Um, remember, Christianity in the first century was a sect of Judaism. The hard, fast split didn't take place probably for another... Like I said, closer to the destruction of the temple, maybe, maybe towards the 60s and going, it was starting to get a little more pronounced. Um, you know, looking towards, uh, 70, the, 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 Jewish revolt's gonna start, uh, raising its ugly head soon. The temple's gonna get destroyed by Titus. Um, but Paul wrote in the mid 50s, probably looking towards the 60s. And by the time he made it to Rome, it was probably in the, around the 60s. So my point is, historically, um, the, uh, the church and the synagogue had not split. And that's uh, an important point for us to remember. Luke continues in his account, Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 23. So they arranged a day with him and came to his quarters in large numbers. Now that's interesting. Jewish uh, uh, non Christian Jews are meeting with Paul in large numbers. And from morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, giving a thorough witness about the kingdom of God and making use of both the Torah of Moshe and the prophets to persuade them about Yeshua. That last sentence there is why I believe that they are largely um, non Christian Jews, because he's trying to persuade them about Yeshua. But it's important enough for us that contextually we can begin to picture this idea that um, the church communities in rome and the jewish communities in rome were probably not so separated that there wasn't enough place for them to dialogue and meet with one another such as the way that paul was doing in large numbers with them right the, 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 there wasn't this complete um distance between the two yet some were convinced by what he said while verse 25 while others refused to believe so they left disagreeing amongst themselves after shoal had made one final statement And this statement is the thing that typically gets him in hot water. So listen to it. The Ruach Kodesh spoke well in saying to your fathers through Yeshayahu, the prophet, the Holy Spirit, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing but never understand, and you will keep on seeing but never perceive. And uh, verse 27. Because the heart of these people has grown thick with their ears they barely hear and their eyes they have closed for fear that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and do teshuva, that is repentance, so that I could heal them. And now listen to this final statement. This is the part that really upsets the Jews of Paul's day. Therefore, verse 28, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the goyim and they will listen. The goyim. Paul used the G word, the G word, the Gentiles, the Goyim, the Gerim, the Goyim, the, the, the Gentiles. Whenever this concept of Gentiles being brought into the picture is brought into discussion, and I'll close down this part of our study with this statement, we'll pick this up again next week. That's when typically the Jewish people, the non Christian Jews, typically threw their hands up and said, We don't want to listen to you anymore. Because the, one, of the part of the, one, of, one of the major uh, blindnesses in their theology was how do the Gentiles fit into the program of God as Gentiles. Not how do they fit in with worshiping God and walking in Torah and things like that. From their perspective, the, 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 the national Israel, from their limited perspective in the first century, as long as Gentiles ch- uh, change their legal ethnic status from that, of, from that of Goy or Gentile into that of Jew, or Israel, then there was no problem with them worshiping the one God of Israel and uh, keeping the Torah of Israel, celebrating the feasts and and things like that. But as long as you're gonna try and fit in with us as a Gentile, we're not gonna have it. So that was their blindness. It was a blindness that Paul had uh, been brought and delivered from, and so Paul knew firsthand Yeshua commissioned him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul knew firsthand how important it was for not only Gentiles to be included in the people group of God from their perspective, from the Gentiles' perspective, but also how important it was for Jew and Gentile to worship together from the from the Jewish side of the house. In other words. It was a major hurdle to get Jews to understand where the Gentiles were fitting in. So whenever he brought up the G word, whenever he brought in the Gentile part of the equation, it really upset the Gentiles. Not just the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. That caused enough consternation in and of itself. But... Uh, uh, like I said, one of the biggest hurdles, the biggest stumbling blocks to first-century national Israel was the inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of God, and so that's going to be, um, again, it's the backbone of the Abrahamic promise, right alongside of um, Messiah Yeshua as the seed, and 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 the the very um, one who would bring the Abrahamic promise to, to fruition, but the. The presence of Jew and Gentile together is so important in Paul's theology, and it ought to be important for us today. So we'll pick this up next week, uh, and we'll continue to look at this uh, so we can get a better handle on this, okay? Let's turn to exploring the Shema, discussions on the issues of Trinity. We'll take the next 15 or so minutes to work our way through the uh, material that's before us. Um, we've been working our way through this chart from Karm, and last week we looked at verses related to the eternality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing is we're allowing the scriptures to paint the picture of God the way that God wants to be understood by us. It's unfortunate too often that we cherry-pick. We pick, pick scriptures and passages that are relevant to our theology, so we approach the text with a preconceived idea of what we think God is, and then we find passages that fit our own preconceived and prearranged um, notion of the makeup of God or God's identity. What we should be doing is the reverse. What we should is, do is approach the text with this idea that, Lord, I'm not exactly sure... Uh, how you are to be understood, why don't I let your words tell me? Meaning, we read the text, the text informs us of who God is and what he uh, is all about, what his program is how he is to be understood and interacted with and then at the end of the day after we read through the scriptures then we can say with confidence well if this is what the way the 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 torah portrays him but this is the way the bible uh portrays god well then who am i to say otherwise and so that i believe is the better way to approach this topic of um what is god made up of right how many beings is he right how many persons uh, uh is he composed of so we looked last week at the eternal nature of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to turn to um, these verses to show that the God as a being made up of three persons, these three persons of God all possess a part of personhood that is um, enjoyed by humans as well, which is the possession of a will. Free will—the ability to make a decision and follow through, the ability to decide on, on a matter uh, whether right or wrong, or or to make a judgment call, to to make a plan and follow through with that plan, to to have a, a, a free will, a volition. This is not something that inanimate objects enjoy, right? That's, that's easy to understand, right? My computer is in front of me. I've got two computers in front of me. There's my Windows uh, PC that most of you are looking at right now through the through the lens of this um, uh, YouTube uh, video, right? The one I'm re- doing this recording on. And then off to my left, I've got my um, MacBook Pro sitting there where I'm drawing some notes and things like that as well. References. Both of these computers, one's a Mac, one's a PC. But guess what? Neither one of them has a will. They have programming. You know, they have routines and subroutines and and all kinds of of, of uh, data that they can process and many much of it is automated I push one button and all kinds all of a sudden a thousand things start happening but you know if my either one of these computers decided that they wanted to take a day off just like without deciding without asking me about it first they don't get to do that They work when I tell them to work. You know, when I push the button, they work. At least most of the time they work to to their reliability. But I think you guys get the point. They're not free will agents. They don't have the ability to express and exert their own will. Now, can they malfunction? Yeah, they can do that. Machines do that. Could we call that a will? Not the same way as humans do. They They don't have the will to do their own thing. They can't decide to malfunction. And then in the middle of it say, I think I'll decide to function. No, no, I think I'll malfunction again. Um, no, they, they just, they, they, they do whatever they do according to their programming, the strength or weakness thereof. The point is God is not a machine. Therefore, in all of his complexity, whether it's one being or the three persons that we're focusing on, he has a will. He can exert his will. And we're going to find out from, from, from clever Greek words that we'll have, that we'll look at tonight, that, that will cannot be ignored in many cases. So let's begin to peel this away. Karm only provided two verses for the part about God the Father and God the Son. They use the same reference, Luke 22, 42, in both parts. So I'm going to bring in my own passage. I br- for the Son, I'm going to look at Matthew... When the time comes, we'll look at that. So for the father, we'll use the uh, Luke 22.42 verse, but for the son, we're going to look at Matthew 11.27. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12.11. So let's just jump right into it. All right, so we've got three verses. Luke 22.42 is the first verse. So let's just read the verse. Luke 22, dropping all the way down to verse 42. This is um looking at the will of the father or the the uh pr- uh the um the the prerogatives of the father what did I say verse 42 okay starting right there and this is jumping right in the middle of a quote but um this is Yeshua speaking he says, and he's praying to the Father, he says, saying, Father, if you are willing, notice the English word willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, notice the English word will, but yours be done. So, right away, according to Yeshua's words, the Father, God the Father, has his own will. He has a will. Look at the Greek real quick. Luke 22, 42. Um... In the Greek, we've got uh, some words that uh, that we translated, as I mentioned. Let me do this for a second, make it a little easier for us to see the whole page. Um, does that work? That might work. Uh, in um, in the Greek, nah, I don't like that. We'll just go like this. I'll, I'll scroll it during my post-production. In the Greek, looking at the these words here, in the Greek, um, Luke records. He says, Legum pater e boule." paraneke tutato paterian apemu plain me tolema mu ala ta son genesto the two words i want you to uh, walk away with are the word boule which is translated in the english word as you are willing and the um, word thalema. let me drop down here there we go Thalema, which is translated as will you can notice right away in the Greek they are two different words even though in the English they're they're very similar. If you're willing and yet not the will of me, right, the lemamu, the will of me. If we look a little more closely at this first word um, boule, Strong's number uh, 1014, we can see that it's translated by Strong's as uh, the intention or the desire or the wish to will. Father, if you desire. Notice, uh, if I scroll down into the um, the word, the helps word study section right uh, here. Um, this part of this tool tells me that this word... Um, um, refers to a resolute plan resolutely plan. It's a strong term that understri- uh, that underlines the predetermined and determined intention driving the planning that is the wishing or the resolving. And uh, that's important for us because it's going to give us the context of this other word that's similar, the word that's translated uh, not my will by Yeshua. In contrast, the other word, um, uh, "thalo," focuses on the desire, the wishfulness behind making an offer. So we can see right away, this tool is trying to let us know that these two words can both be understood along the idea idea of something that is determined or desired or wished for by an individual, but this last part is the part that I want you to um, really kind of zoom in on. While God's Fellow offers can be rejected, right? God's wills, uh, God's, God's wishfulness can be rejected. His bulamai, his planning, always works out his purpose, especially in conjunction with presenting the physical scenes of history. So, going back to those t- uh, two words, the boule, the willingness of God is something that, according to this Greek uh, uh, offer that we're looking at, this Greek definition, the boulé of God is something that is always going to come to pass. The philema of the person of God, whether it be the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, is something that can be... um, Altered, it can be. Uh, we could maybe make some concessions. Uh, God can allow some changes, uh, differences. Man can do certain things that God doesn't wish him to do. Uh, so the plans and purposes of God are come to come to pass. That's His boule. But sometimes God wants something to happen, but man is not willing to do that at the time. We could call that God's philema. I, that's that's the way I see these two words being played. Against one another, and that's going to be relevant as we look at the other um, uh, persons of the Trinity and the the verses that we chose to to look at. So let's just keep going with each particular um, verses. Uh, Here's philema. Let me just look at that real quick. Strong's number twenty three hundred seven is defined as an act of will, uh, wish, or a desire. So it's kind of a little less. Intense than a plan that is definitely going to happen. That's definitely going to come to pass. It's something that um, is something that is desired. It's a wish. It should happen. Um, you know, but sometimes it doesn't happen because man has his own free will as well, right? He's a free will agent. Look at the, um, uh, the word helps definitions again, Thalema, thelema, uh, fellow uh, to desire to wish properly, desire, wish often referred to God's preferred will. In, Ezra, in other words, his, in essence, his best offer to people, which can be accepted or rejected. So again, that's the force of it, uh, that we're, uh, uh, looking at um let's turn now to the the next passage which is going to show the um the free will of the son matthew 11 and what verse did i say verse 27 so let's just scroll down and look at that matthew 11 27 and this wasn't in Karm's chart i decided to pull this in on my own right this is yeshua talking now again we could have used luke 22 42 because uh father you're willing but nevertheless not my will but yours by context we can see there are two wills there's yeshua's will right there but then there's the father's will right there but i decided i'd use a different verse because i think it has a little bit more relevance for us in matthew 11:27, 27 yeshua speaking once again he says all things have been handed over to me by my father notice the authority and no one knows the son except the father Notice exclusive re- arrangement there. And no one knows the father except the son. Once again, this exclusive knowledge that's shared across father-son relationship. But look at this last clause that Yeshua inserts. He says in, 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 in the context of this knowledge between father and son, no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So the son... Chooses to reveal the Father to certain individuals. Now, if we look over at the Greek, let's look at the uh, the um, uh, pull up this passage 11:27 in the Greek. We're going to see some of these same words. The Greek says "panta mou tu patras mu kai udes epignoske tan huion a me ho pater oudetan patera tis epignos epignoske a May huyas kai ha buletai The word I want you to um, take notice first and foremost of is down near the very end of the sentence, where Yeshua brings in the clause about "No one knows the father except the son and to whom it might choose, or to whom the son might reveal the father to this person the bullet right there like, like we looked at it earlier in the book of luke is the volition or the will of the son which cannot be thwarted by any other being other than the person who's exerting their free will at this point in time the father has a has a bullet that cannot be uh changed his 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 plans can't be thwarted by any other being Likewise, the sun shares the same nature, same Greek word, the bulatai. Notice it's that um, it's not the um, it's not the uh, philema of the sun, not the will of the sun that is being expressed by Yeshua here, but it is the bulatai. It's the, it's the it's that uh, bulatai, is what I should be saying. Uh, the Strong's number ten fourteen uh, that we're looking at. So this is significant enough for us to begin to draw the same conclusions. The father and the son share the same quality as persons, which makes sense because we as humans have the same idea. Although I don't know if we would be as stubborn in not allowing anyone to change our mind in the matter or to thwart the plan from coming to pass. The point being, when it comes to the um, eternal nature of the Son that He shares with His Father God, there there's personhood that's being expressed here, and it's the same Greek terminology that the biblical writers are using um, to express the same concept. The Father decides things, and His plans cannot be thwarted. The Bouleutai, likewise, the Son has this same freedom of will to make plans that cannot be changed by any other being in the universe because he is very one in nature with God, his Father. He, the Son, chooses to reveal the Father to individuals, and the Father is revealed. How can you uh, um, resist that? You cannot. Let's turn now to the last verse, which is uh, the one that's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. It's First Corinthians twelve, eleven. So let's drop down and look at this verse. Paul says, all these, he's talking about these um, gifts... Of the spirit if we were to go back up um uh to uh verse um four um now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit things like that you got this is a very familiar passage the gifts of the spirit but um not the fruit of the spirit but the gifts of the spirit different passage so he's it's within that context that in verse 11 he says all these right speaking of the people and the giftings and all these miracles and things that we see about in verse 10 and and prior to that. In verse 11 he says all these are empowered by one one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This word wills in the English is not the Greek word philema. It's not just something that he hopes will happen, but it could be changed based on the reaction of the people that the spirit's interacting with. It's not that Greek word that we saw will there. It's a different word. Which word do you think it is? You think it's lema or do you think it's boule? Yeah, you guys know where I'm going with this. Let's go back to it. If we look right over here in the Greek, it's bouletai, right? It's the same Greek word. It's the Strong's number um, 1014. So let's just look at the Greek and pull it up real quick. Uh, well, first, before I pull that, if you look at many, uh, the most English versions, um, I find it interesting that when it when it talks about the Holy Spirit, in the English it uses the personal pronoun he as he wills, right? But you guys already know that um, there are Unitarian groups out there, such as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, who don't think that the Holy Spirit is a person. They think he's an impersonal force of God, an impersonal action or attribute of God, um, You know, like electricity or something like that. So what do you think they're going to say when it comes to this particular verse? Let me just jump to their uh, translation first. The Jehovah's Witnesses um, are going to say in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 11, let me just pull up their verse right here. It reads, "But all these operations are performed by the very same Spirit, distributing to each one respectively, just as it wills." Yeah, you guys know they're going to say it. They're not going to say he, but you know, because this is going to fit with their theology that the Holy Spirit is a, is a thing, not a person. But if we look at most of the major English translations, in fact, all of the um, Christian English translations, with the exception of maybe one or two that that are more literal in their representation. I'm not going to go back and read down through all these, but just you can see the representation here on my screen. NIV, NLT, ESV, BSB, uh, BLB, KJV, New KJB, NASB, Amplified, Christian Standard, ASV, Dewey uh, English Revised, all of these. If you go look at them, they all, uh, without exception, if I'm correct, they all talk about the He, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. They use the word He in all of these, um, uh, 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 uh translations so that's going to be the, one of the biggest differences however in, in all fairness if we look at the um, greek and we'll close with this if we look at the greek let's pull, pull up first corinthians 12 verse 11 in the greek we have pulled here the greek says panta detauta in erge kai pnuma dai idea hekasto kathos first and foremost let's look at our word for wills the spirit is the one who wills these things into action. Is it the Greek word thelema, like something that he wishes, or is it something a little stronger? Well, you can see it right now, it's bulatai, strong number 1014. It's that stronger word that we already looked at earlier, It's that word that once this plan has been decided by this person, either Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, it cannot be thwarted. It cannot be uprooted. It cannot be changed by any other being because God is all-powerful. Therefore, once his will is determined, his buletai, then That's something that's going to come to pass. It's not going to be thwarted by mere mortals or any other being, whether demonic or otherwise. So that's the word that's chosen in the Greek uh, to express. But the second thing is, typical of Greek, uh, because nouns and verbs must agree in uh, gender, in the Greek, the verb doesn't carry a gender. So even though it's translated here as he wills, it's just a verb in the present indicative middle or passive third person singular. That's the morphology behind this word, uh, bulatai. There is no really um, gender there, even though the translation underneath in the English says he wills. But technically, there is no he there. There's no personal pronoun that shows up there. It's just the verb. However, the um, participle, by comparison, in, although the participle, if you recall, a participle is kind of like a a, a verbal noun it's a combination between a noun and a verb Right? It carries kind of a little bit of both. And in the participle, which is usually translated ing, in Greek, because it is half noun and half verb, right? The, the participle or adjective, um, I should say, adjective and verb or something like that. Um, then we could say, we could see over here, apportioning, even though it's, it's uh, technically a verb, because it's a present participle, then it carries the gender. So I'm trying to get, not to get too technical, but the point being, in this sentence, the main nominative, the main subject, is, of course, the spirit. And the spirit is a noun, but it's neuter. So in Greek, we have masculine, feminine, and neuter. This is just grammatical tags, right? Don't get too confused. doesn't mean that the spirit itself is feminine. It's just the Greek word for spirit, which is pneuma, is Uh, feminine. And so because the noun is uh, neutral I'm sorry I said neuter I, I said feminine. In the Hebrew it's feminine. In the Greek it's neuter, and in the Latin, it's masculine, right? Go figure. Um, <laughs> same, same word, but spirit. but the point I'm trying to bring up is that uh, in typical uh, uh, translator fashion, since we have a neuter uh, subject primarily driving the sentence, then it makes sense that if you look at the adjective up here, it's a neuter, right? So the adjective, which is uh, modifying the noun, it can, um, uh, it can carry gender. The adjective is neuter up here. The um, pronoun here, is also neuter. The articles, which are attached to the nouns, also uh, match the same case, which is the gender, which is going to be neuter here because of the um, subject being the spirit. So we can see right away up here, uh, the panta, which is the adjective, that's neuter. The, um, the uh, tauta, which is the demonstrative uh, the, the pronoun, um, this, is, this is neuter. The ta is neuter, the article. The adjective next to it, the n, It's neuter. Uh, The next article as well, ta, is neuter. And then we have a personal pronoun here, possessive pronoun. Auta is also neuter. This is because the spirit here is neuter. And this leads us to the verb or the participle. Um, Remember, again, a verb doesn't carry a gender, but because this is a participle, then participles kind of cheat. They do carry genders. So it's neuter. That means when we get all the way over here um, to the... um, uh, 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 the uh, verb at the final end, it doesn't carry any gender, neuter or sing, or otherwise. So, this makes sense. I can see now why the Jehovah's Witnesses, I said all that to say this, I can understand why the Job's Witnesses say it, because of the neuter, gendered spirit over here, which is can be translated as it, then we can say it wills with bulatai, as opposed to he wills. I'll concede and give them that context we know, the Holy Spirit Carries other personhood traits that we can see in other verses, but in 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 all fairness to the Jehovah's Witnesses translation, yeah, we could translate it as it, and it wouldn't be too terribly disrupted to understanding the verse. Okay, so with that, we'll draw our study to close. We went a little bit over for the um Shema study, but I like going a little bit longer on the Shema and not cutting it short. Let's, let's look at some liturgy real quick. Uh, we're go- going a bit longer in our, our study tonight. Those of you are with me live, live class, bear with me for one moment. We'll just read through the passages. I'm not going to stop and explain the passages any more than um, the fact that these are future passages at least the isaiah chapter 2 passages future and it speaks about a time when the torah is going to go forth from jerusalem from mount zion and not only will israel be privileged to be a blessing and participate in that um experience but the peoples are going to express the desire to go up to the mountain and go up to jerusalem to worship this one god of jacob so that they can also learn about this torah let's read this real quick and i won't max wax long isaiah 2 starting in verse 1 we're going to read verse 1 2 3 and 4 tonight the whole passage Isaiah two one says the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Verse 3. And many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Wow, that's interesting right peoples of the nation saying let's go learn about the god of jacob and about his ways and walking in his paths yeah, isn't that what we're talking about doing right now why do we gotta wait till the end time for this to happen let's just do it now okay let's go and worship the god of jacob and ask him to teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths let's do it right now the, the verse continues for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem and then verse 4, 4, I'm sorry, there's no 4 there. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We know this is a future passage because currently in a dozen places around the world, men are learning and practicing war. Yeah, that's right. Still going on. All right, let's go back up and read the Hebrew real quick, starting over on that side of the page. The Hebrew says, Verse 2. Verse 3. Vahohu amim rabin, Va amru lohu, Vana ele el haradunai el bait elohe yaakov, Vyorenu middle chive, ha, be or hotive, Key, Mitzion, Tate Torah ud varadunai meet Yerushalayim. And verse four, Vashaphat ben hagoim ha, Vaha ho kiak, Vaho kiak la amim rabin, Vahit the uh hit tu harva tam le the ha ni tote The ma i'm sorry le me rot lo yisa goi el goi v lo Yilmudu od mil and that'll do it for the Hebrew liturgy for tonight. Let's turn real quick to the book of Galatians chapter 2 and read these passages as well for part of our liturgy from the uh, Hebrew. in uh, Starting in verse, um, starting verse 15, right here, of Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also... Have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Powerful verses. I wish I could go back and exegete it, but... Wait a minute, I already did. Go and watch my commentary series or read my commentary on Exegete and Galatians available at my website at tatesator.com and you can understand where I think Paul's going with those particular passages. Let's go back and read the Greek real quick, starting right there. The Greek says, Heimeis you eudaioi kai uk ex ethnon Verse 16, de de kaioutai anthropos ex ian media pistios Christu Jesu. Kai hemes es Christon iuson, epastusimen hina decaothomenic pistios Christu, ca uc ex ergonamu hati ex ergonamu u decaothesatai pasasarx. Verse 17, A e, de E deseduntis decaothenae in Christo yurathemen, ca autoi hamartaloi ara Christos hamartias, de, deacanas deacanas, me genoita, Verse eighteen. Egar ha Catalusa tautapallin oikadamo. Para para batain hiautan sunestano. Verse nineteen. Ego gardia namu namo. Apethanon hina zheo theo zeso. Verse twenty. Christo sunestarumai zo de Ego ze de emoi Christas ha de nunzo in saraki in pistezo to huio tu theutu apa I'm sorry agape santas me kai paradantas hautan huper emu and the final posic verse twenty one Uk atheto tain karin tu theu a gardianamu dicausune ara Christas Dorean Apethanin. And that'll do it for the liturgy for tonight. Let's watch the short little video for tonight on Genesis 21, verse 6. And after the video's over, we'll simply close in prayer. You ready? Here we go. welcome to a minute or two with the word I'm your host Torah teacher Ariel where every week or so we take a look at a relevant passage of scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah Genesis 21 6 reads and Sarah said God has made laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh over me Sarah is an incredible biblical woman of faith many of us remember her as the mother who laughed when God promised her a child the name Isaac, or Isaac comes from the root word for laughter laughter. Sarah's like so many of us today. When we hear of the miraculous, we often react in laughter and doubt. Read Genesis 18, 12-15. We want so much to experience the supernatural that when it finally happens, we simply cannot believe it. Why are we so amazed? at the miraculous. We serve a miraculous God, don't we? Sarah lived to be 127 years old, the Torah tells us, and all this time we hear of only one semi-direct revelation to her from Hashem, and that's when she overheard the conversation between her husband and God about Isaac, and laughed. Other than that, we don't have any recorded scriptures indicating her direct contact with the Almighty in the same manner as her husband. Why is this significant? Because it shows that even Even though she did not have the exact same revelations from Hashem that Avraham did, surely she had a genuine living relationship with her God. And this is proven by the quality of faith and support that she displayed towards her husband amidst his unbelievable callings. close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for the study. I thank you for the students and I thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts with them to continue to bless them and to um, encourage them. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to strengthen us during these difficult times. Help us to not lose sight of the fact that you are a father who cares for us, provides for us, demonstrates his intense love for us. Lord, over and over again, you provide for our needs, most of them, In fact, you provide for all of our needs and most of our wants as well. Lord, we know that um, days are dark, and in many respects, um, they may even get darker. Uh, Yet, we have a sure anchor of hope. We have our Messiah, Yeshua. We we have that blessed truth that he is going to return for us. We have the blessed truth that he dwells with us right now, but one day we'll also be uh, taken to be with him. So we know, Lord, that there'll come a day when things do get better. Help us to continue to look for opportunities to bless those around us uh, with this good news that we possess ourselves, that we hold to. Help us to continue to uh, share our witness with others. Help us to... um, um be um, those people who govern our lives in a manner that is exemplary of your great name and of your great kingdom. We want to be ambassadors for your name. We want to draw others to you. We want others to see Jesus when they see us. In fact, we may be the only Jesus that some people ever see. And so help us, Lord, to be circumspect about the way we govern ourselves and conduct our lives. Um, we're not perfect, and we ask for your forgiveness where we fail you. Help us continue to say no to sin as to say yes to the Holy Spirit, putting on the armor of God so that we can withstand the attack and the onslaught from the adversary and the attack from evil men. Help us to continue to surrender our will to your will. Bless us, Lord, as families, as communities, uh, as individuals. Um, Heal us, O oh Lord, so that we can be healed. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory of Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set His affection on your forefathers and loved them, and He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.